On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Mark Tremonti, and you're listening to Jay Scott of Rocks. I'm your host, Jay Scott. Thanks for tuning in once again. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure to have you listen. Thank you very much for the uh, support and uh, the reviews. If you haven't done so and you like what you're hearing, please give us a shout out or a review on any platform that you do listen to. Um, once again, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. We've got something for everyone, all music genres, all types of music interest on the platform. I always mention my friends whenever I start off, like Martin Popoff, the rock historian, Mistress Carrie, the legendary DJ out in Boston, Carmen Apice and Vinny Apice on the Hanging and Banging podcast, Common Zeus on the number one rated KISS podcast, Shout Out Loudcast, as well as Decibel Geek. Chris and Aaron do a great job on Decibel Geek and Mac on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast overseas. He's the United States transplant carrying the rock and roll flag over in the UK. So uh, go check out all of those podcasts. Don't forget to follow Pantheon wherever you do your social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And don't forget to follow The Hook Rocks wherever you do podcasts. And don't forget to check out our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter page. Just search up The Hook Rocks. We're on every platform. So set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episode right to your phone. We've had some great episodes lately. We just did a collaborative episode with Guernica and Nick Reese. Nick Reese from Joyous Wolf and Guernica Mancini from Thunder Mother. That was a great episode. Some other great new music spotlights include Stone Broken, Band Inc., Fast Eddie, and Native Sons. So check them out. And some great interviews lately, like with Joe Satriani, Mark Tremonti, and Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy. And don't forget to check out our live album review of Kiss Alive. And we welcome back Rob at Skylab Tapes talking how to set your house up with good acoustics with your stereo system. So enjoy that episode as well. We've got a great new music spotlight lined up for you today. I'd like to welcome in Terry and Tim from the band Deep Fall. What's going on, guys? How are you? Hey, how are you, man? Thanks for having us. Doing well. Well, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Another great band to showcase here on the New Music Spotlight. Um, It's really kind of what we're all about. So thank you very much for joining us. We're going to get into the band and we're going to get into what you guys are about. But first, we always ask the same first question we do to every first-time guest, and that is, 
kind of what we're all about here. Just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Well, for me, it was Michael Jackson when I was five years old. <laughs> so, hey, that's, that's mom, honest. I appreciate the honesty. My, my mom told me when I saw Michael Jackson on TV, I like stopped in my tracks and started emulating and doing all that. And I was a huge Michael Jackson fan as a kid. So that's my answer. Tim, what you got? <laughs> you know, I mean, the, my oldest rock and roll memories these days is some Bruce Springsteen way back in the day, honestly. I remember my parents jamming to that and, and thinking this is some good stuff. Where did it go from there, you know, for you guys? I mean, obviously, Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen were big, huge presences in the 80s, yeah. um, you know, with big albums like Thriller and Born in the USA. But when did the rock, when did the hard rock, you know, moment come for you guys? Well, for me, it was probably, I guess, uh, middle school, high school. Um, I was a huge, huge Lenny Kravitz fan when I was in eighth grade. Um I uh, got made fun of for it, actually. It was kind of funny. <laughs> and then um, in high school, like ninth, 10th grade, started getting into Metallica because I was able to go to buddies' houses that were allowed to listen to that kind of music. I was, grew up in kind of a strict household, so um, I wasn't able to listen to all that stuff. But as I started going to friends' house and hearing those kind of records, I ended up accumulating some Metallica, Pink Floyd. It was Metallica and Pink Floyd, The Doors. I was really into that in middle school, high school. Some Lenny. I like Stevie Wonder a lot. I pretty I like a lot of different things, but rock, middle school, high school, eighth, ninth grade, Metallica, Pink Floyd were my first two big ones. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the same story for me. I was, you know, we were we were the opposite of you, Terry. We were more uh, out in the wild doing whatever we wanted in the garage all the time. And uh, uh, a couple of us had guitars, and we'd always at least think we were playing some Metallica. It's probably just random noise that was actually coming out, but. We at least gave it a shot. As far as your journey and as it continued, when was the moment that you guys wanted to get on stage? Was there a performance? You know, was there a band that you wanted to, you know, emulate what you saw on stage at a concert or something similar to that? Uh, for me, it was, again, uh, just watching entertainers growing up, like when there was music on TV. It was neat. <laughs> you know, so like the olden days that you watch the Grammys, they had live performers, but I remember seeing Michael Jackson on stage at the Grammys and I was just like, holy cow, I want to be up there someday. That's definitely, it's, uh, I miss that stuff, you know, where's live music uh, on TV now? It's pretty rare. <laughs> it's different. It is, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how did the band start for you guys? Like, How did you guys begin your collaboration? How did you guys come together? So for me, I just joined, um, it was about October-ish last year. Um, Deep Fall had a whole previous singer and a whole previous thing that they were doing before me. So Tim would have to kind of fill in the details previously. I know they toured with Alter Bridge and they released an EP um, and they did some touring and then obviously with COVID um, and then other things happened and, you know, people changed and did had to go their different ways. And I ended up joining the uh, October-ish and then we went and recorded our EP um, which will be revolution. We self-titled and then, and we will be releasing that stuff. Hopefully, uh, in the end of summer here, the rest of it. So the very beginnings of deep fall goes back to a bunch of guys pretending to be band practice, but just sitting around in the garage drinking all night. Um, Hell yeah. and that goes, that goes back <laughs> close to a, close to a decade. And then, uh, there was different versions, different people, um, 
And then uh, back in about 2016, 2017, started trying to get a little more serious about it and uh, put some stuff down in the studio. And uh, just in the last couple of years, 2019 was when first touring started. Um, did the short run with Texas Hippie and Hell Yeah, Nonpoint, uh, and a little stint with Seven Dust. And then uh, 2020, uh, we hit the road with Alter Bridge in February and had a bunch of other stuff planned. And of course, COVID happened and there was no more anything. And um, as that started to lift and we started getting things going again, that's when uh, we we got Terry on board here and started going at it again. Now, did you guys record any music during those early parts or, you know, with the song Revolution, is that your first official release? There's definitely some older music out there um, from from before this this era. Um, We had, uh, I think, four or five different singles that were released out there. And his new song, Revolution, that is out now, fantastic song. What was the inspiration? How was the collaborative process with this with this music, with this song? Uh, well, me and uh, T.O., um, Tim Ossenfort's our uh, guitar player. So kind of a song started with just like a, a little riff. Um, and then um, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm an overthinker. <laughs> so I... I uh, heard this riff and I started going off on technology and started writing some, some parts, but it's just, um, it's really based about that stuff. It's about technology and where it's going. And, and when, when do we start asking questions? Like there's probably a point where there's too much of it. <laughs> so that's kind of what that song's about. Clearly. Okay. Yeah. Clearly too dependent on it right now. Very, very dependent. But as far as your writing goes and, and putting them, putting songs together, what is that process for you guys? Well, with technology, <laughs> again, um, it's, it's sending parts now because it's everything is, it's not like getting in a room with your buddies like it used to be, you know? Um, nowadays, it seems like it's easier to send files and songs and kind of write and then add to them and then get to the point where you want to really work them up. You'll have somebody and we'll all get together and do it that way. That's kind of what we've done. Um, this just for me, it's been a little bit kind of like that because when I first started this, we already had scheduled studio time. So there was kind of a time crunch. So that was um, how we did that. But I think it's kind of depends on how you want to approach it too. But that's that, that was that process for the first EP, but I think there'll be more in-room jamming for the second one, hopefully but there'll still be the file sharing and things like that too. It's kind of, you know, if you have one that goes, you'll write it pretty quick usually. So how different is it for you guys in terms of the dynamic of, of writing face to face rather than sharing things remotely? Coming from the technology side, it's, it's, it's kind of normal for me. Um, but I know for, for most everybody else, it's like, you know, songs used to come from two hour random sessions of just playing things until something sounded cool to someone. And then nowadays it's like, we're just trying to like, all right, well, here's a skeleton. Can we work with this? Can you build on this or not? And and it's just like Terry was saying, a lot of the back and forth stuff. How did you guys, or what influenced you to actually start writing music, whether it's lyrics, whether it's songs? I mean, there is that evolution of the artists that I speak about a lot. It's that first moment that grabbed you with music. It's that first moment that grabbed you with rock and roll, wanting to be on stage, wanting to be in a band. But then there comes a point where you want to write. Did a song inspire you guys? Or was there a moment where, hey, instead of just playing tunes that I know, I want to write a riff that comes from me or a lyric that comes from me? 
So for me, um, it goes back to, to late 90s. Uh, actually, a buddy of mine uh, from high school ended up at his place one day and, uh, you know, learned that his dad was uh, a keyboardist on the road with Eddie Money back in the late 80s. And uh, he had a home studio going and just started, you know, messing around there and jamming with him and, and listening to a lot of his original stuff. And that's kind of where my inspiration started to to want to work on my own stuff as well. Yeah, for me, um, I was always, my mom got me into like voice lessons and I did plays when I was younger and things like that. My grandma played the organ. So I was always fascinated by sounds. So um, for me, I remember hearing again, like bands like Pink Floyd, where you hear sounds never heard before when you're young, they really stick out. And usually those kind of things inspire me to write lyrics. Um, it's, um, but that's kind of where it all started to write songs and starting to hear all these cool things that you can kind of make a puzzle out of, you know? So it was just hearing my grandmother and I started writing songs. My mom told me when I was like middle school, you know, cause you're in plays and you're starting to be creative with drama class and all those things you gotta. So I started doing that stuff about that time. You mentioned the song revolution, which is the first single that you guys have put out for this EP about the reliance on technology, technology in the current day that we live in, it's an observation that you wrote about. Is that where you primarily get your, your inspiration for lyrics? Um, sometimes. Um, we have a, another song that's called uh, Phantom, which I, I wrote about uh, passing away and overlooking my family as I was gone. And just depends, man. Songs can come from all sorts of different things, you know. Just depends. But the technology thing's been... Um, frustrating I'm, I'm a huge i like to read and um, i followed elon musk and the joe rogan stuff and ai and vance and tim's a huge computer dude so you know you just kind of see the writing on the wall with things and where they're going and you know it's just things that's been talked about a lot and that song you know everybody's you can't really go anywhere without having a phone on you or it's just ridiculous <laughs> you know you can't eat with people anymore you can't do anything <laughs> without a phone being present <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. You know, it gives Absolutely. you access to yeah. information, you know, on the spot, you know, within seconds. But it also takes away your attention from things that are important and, and in the interaction, the social interaction as well. You know, being face to face with somebody, having dinner, talking with them, you know, without looking down at your phone. It's it's become like we're a slave to the technology. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that probably ends well in 25, 35 years. If people don't want to talk to one another anymore. It's probably not good. <laughs> well, what's that, what's that one Disney Pixar movie, Wally? Yeah, that's a good movie. Yeah. Well, that's not yeah. a movie. That's a documentary. That's a documentary. Of what we're becoming, you know? It's mean, real. It's true. When, when you think of like people becoming, you know, overweight because of less activity because they're on their phones and technology they're not talking to anybody they're looking at a screen i mean it's 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 happening right before us that'd be that's me yeah <laughs> yeah no it's a lot of us it's a lot of us trust me yeah. it's just um you know it's an amazing like with anything right you know you you get a taste of something you want more and yeah. you know technology makes it so easy for certain things but yeah i was mentioned Facebook, for instance, no one goes to high school reunions anymore because everybody knows what's going on with each other. We don't need to go anymore because we see everybody post about what's happening in their lives. There's no, there's those conversations don't happen anymore. Yeah, so no, you're right. Yeah. And, and, and there's, there's a lot of things. 
And, well, and, and now you know too much about people. I don't need to know what you're eating for lunch and dinner. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> the people that take the pictures of all their food of every meal. I have somebody that does that. Like, dude, take it easy. <laughs> I, I, I only, people don't need to know that. We don't need I, to know all of it. <laughs> I only take, I don't post it on, I don't post it on social media, but I do take pictures of, of something I eat if it's really damn good. Right. Or if it's, it's like, a memory, like if I'm someplace cool, like I've never been before, I might yeah. do that. Like, oh, yeah. this is a memory of yeah. shit I'll never eat again. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> is it important for you guys to to play and write about social issues and current topics that are happening or observations of, of where you feel society is going? I do. I don't know if Tim, you want to take this one. Or well, not. I mean, you're, you're the primary lyricist here. So I figured I'd leave it to you. I think there's a responsibility in, in music to do some of that stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I like to write about stuff like that matters, you know? Um, I think it's important. I think it's important to write in a way where people can kind of interpret it how they want, but putting stuff out there for people who think about, it, I think it's important. I like it. If there's stuff going on in the world that we shouldn't be shy from it. We should discuss it. Cause that's how things get, resolved is conversations like this nobody talks nothing good's gonna come of it so as far as matching the music with the lyrics what usually comes first the music the lyrics is it a mix it's a mix for sure yeah for me it's a mix for sure but but definitely coming from the music side like like there are certain elements of things that terry will be speaking about where we'll be like okay like like we need to we need to catch this vibe we need we need to get in this mood um and try and try and paint the picture of the music behind to to match what the lyrics are and like terry said other times he comes at us with a with a killer hook and melody and we got to try and figure out how to how to get music behind it that works is that difficult sometimes for you or is it just the work in progress and working it out like you're working out a song i think i think it, it goes both ways really um, but, but definitely for the most part, it's, it's been trying to, uh, it, it bounces back and forth constantly, you know, the, the lyrics change a little and then we got to adjust the music a little and, and it's just, it's a, it's uphill all the way until it finally comes together. And sometimes those are their songs that you hate because you can't <laughs> figure them out. And I had one of those that's on the CP. I smited this song. I did not like it at all. It ended up being one of my favorites at the end. And that's sometimes weird how it works. But, you know, sometimes songs can be frustrating. You know, it's like uh, something you can't figure out. And sometimes you have to set them aside for a while and come back to it. You know, like sometimes my wife and I get in an argument. And I got to get away from her for a while. You know what I mean? Come back to her. She's nicer. So I look at It's like that with a song. <laughs> as far as writing that music as far as writing songs and staying connected to it right you you mentioned the pandemic where you kind of you know kind of went your separate ways for a bit because that's what people did and come back you know if there's any if there was music that was recorded before you know how do you stay in front of it how do you stay connected to that music uh, in in that instance, we actually didn't. We ended up basically starting over uh, in in late September of, of uh, twenty one, and then took those to the to the studio in uh, in November of twenty one. So we we started from scratch. Really, the end of August, um, early September, we pretty much started started from scratch with this EP. And then when you guys did come back and scrapping everything and starting over. What differences did you feel had taken over in the band? 
Well, I mean, major difference at that point was this was actually our first run with Terry. Um, so, you know, we had, we had a new singer and a, and a whole new style of uh, music ended up developing out of that in a way. And coming together and creating music, you know, with everything that's happened in the world over the last few years, for you guys, even though you were in maybe separate entities and making music, how how different did you feel? Did, did you feel that these circumstances that have become our reality changed the tone of your music, changed the direction of your music? I don't I think there's, I, don't, I think changed a little bit of everything forever, personally. Um, I don't know. I think that pre all of the COVID stuff and post, we live in a different world, really. You know what I mean? So I think the writing process, like all of that stuff isn't going to change, but the content is forever, probably to a degree. You know what I mean? A little bit. I think there's going to be, you can hear the songs that have been coming out now, like the Shinedown song that just came out, the Three Days Grace tune that just came out. You know, those are COVID songs, really. So you can kind of see that stuff. Um, with some of this, like Zombified is another one that I heard that kind of speaks to that. You know, we can put a whole revolution in there now. Um, just that type of song that's, you know, it's, um, it's technology. It's the whole pandemic stuff. It's how people feel about the world we live in now compared to pre COVID. You know, there's a lot of changes and weird stuff. We're like, Oh, this is a thing. You can do this. This can happen. You know, I know I did. So like all of our shipping can just shut down and like. (laughs) a year and you can't get anything like holy crap it makes you it makes you reevaluate things how about that <laughs> it does you know and, and i've heard that from from a lot of musicians who recorded music some some musicians and some artists took that moment in time and just went into a bubble and just didn't mm-hmm. watch the news just kind of went in their safe zone with with their music right and some of that stuff may not be um, COVID related or anything because they just sure. wanted to escape it all. However, there are some artists that really kind of dove deep and, and dug in with what was happening, whether it was COVID, whether it was, you know, the toxic election process we went through, whether it was the protests, whatever it was, um, it was affected. It was, they, they were affected and, mm-hmm. um, it affected the tone of their music. You know, it affected maybe a, a sharper, darker tone in the melodies. Um, in the lyrics. So it's always interesting to see how people look at that diary entry of time with their music, with their lyrics. Absolutely. Tim, how did you feel about that? (laughs) I mean, to me, I've, uh, I've always sort of connected more with that style of music, the darker tones, the, the minor moods and whatnot is, is always been sort of my thing. And so, uh, I, I guess I, I felt like uh, coming home a little bit, it's, it's almost gotten a little easier for me to connect with some of the stuff we're working with. When did you guys know that you were ready to record the CP, you know, with these songs? Were they, you know, did you perform a lot of them? Were they just, you know, writing so, and so just going did, it back and forth? No, we did this one backwards. Um, yeah. The opportunity presented itself. Um, through uh, some some connections we made when we were out on the road with uh, Alter Bridge and um, ended up getting the studio time booked with Elvis before the songs were written. So yeah. when, we, when we started this process in, in September, we, we had a date um, that we needed to have material ready to get down there. My infamous Tim, Kim, Tim King phone call was, hey, Terry, 
we got a month and a half. I need you to write like a whole bunch of songs. <laughs> Something like that. I was like, all right, man. <laughs> so Give that's what shot. we did. <laughs> How was that pressure? I mean, I, I, I've talked to, I think it was Joe Satriani in his interview with his last album said how more relaxed he was than ever before because he didn't have a deadline on an album. How was it to have a deadline? How was that pressure for you guys to, to make this music? Personally, I liked it. I, I mean, I like, I like, you know, having a target to hit and, and a known next step in the process to know that we're moving forward and, and getting things done versus just kind of sitting back, waiting, waiting for it to happen and, and seeing when we're ready to move forward. Um, so to me, I, I kind of liked having that, you know, back against the wall, like let's get it figured out. And, you know, we, obviously we wanted to put as much focus on making sure that we were, uh, you know, getting, getting quality material together and, and everything was still coming from the heart. And we're not just trying to factory crunch out some music just to say we did it. Um, but I, I liked having the date and, and something to, to lean towards. And as far as what next, you got the new song coming out. When is the EP? When is that going to be released? What's the next song that you guys are going to, going to release? We don't have, don't have exact dates yet. Um, we, I mean, the full EP is done. I've got the vinyl sitting at home. Um, we're kind of just watching the way things are moving right now, working with the radio team as far as uh you know the trajectory of revolution in radio right now and just kind of keeping an eye on it uh as far as figuring out when to pull the trigger on the next single and we're 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 still actually juggling on exactly which single that'll be too but uh this summer most likely that's that's about the best we can give right now what's that like for you guys sitting on this knowing that you have music that you're proud of that you want people to hear <laughs> and just kind of waiting <laughs> Torture. It's torture. torture. Yeah. I mean, that's what exactly. I use as a word because it's just like, you know, when you write them and they're like children's songs and you've, you know, you've heard them and you're ready, you still got them and you, you can't tell anybody, you can't, you know, you just got to sit there like, you know, it's, it can be a, a frustrating thing, but it's cool. You know, it's also cool at the same time, but yeah. It, does it help you guys in that, you know, you know what you have, you're confident what you have and, and, you know, rather than just throwing it out there and hope people listen, you can kind of pick the right time or you can line up things, whether it's a tour with somebody, does that help the situation? For me, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're dealing with guidance from some guys that have been doing this for a long time and, and, you know, just trying to do what's best for, for the music and for us and to just try and keep the whole project moving forward as a whole. And, uh, you know, and to that they say, uh, don't throw all your money out at once. As far as that goes, you know, in terms of making this music and making this EP, and then, you know, having people kind of tell you or give you advice on when this should be released, was this everything you thought it would be on making a record? Or is this there's way more involved behind the scenes or way more stuff that you maybe didn't think of? There's, there's definitely a lot of behind the scenes stuff that we're, we're still learning about every day. Yeah. I, I've always think, I mean, you, you get most of it, like a good chunk of it, you understand, but there's always things that are going to come up where you don't quite understand and everything changes so fast, you know, 
um, especially nowadays. So it's just, you got to kind of Tai Chi and take it with a grain of salt, but yeah, you're always going to learn stuff doing this no matter what I think forever. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're in a band and you know, the music you guys grew up with, those artists didn't have to think of algorithms. They didn't have to think of social (laughs) media platforms. They didn't have to think of all that stuff. And it's got to be frustrating for a band. And I've talked to many about this is that you have dreams of making music and being on stage, playing guitar, singing a song, you know, you're not a social media guru, right? You're not like a Twitter expert or whatever, but you have to become one or you have to find a team that is like that. And then that's another additional cost. You got to learn the algorithms that help you get your song in front of more people. It's, it's like this whole other side that years ago, people didn't have to deal with. It was more or less, you know, stapling a flyer on a telephone pole you know, walking up and down the street and promoting your, your show that you were going to play at the local venue. It had, you know, and like we talked about the kind of circle back with the technology aspect of it, there's a lot that's a beneficial to it, but there's a lot of extra stress involved too, as well. Absolutely. And what we've learned is do not pick on the nerds in school. Be nice to them. <laughs> okay. You're going to need them. <laughs> it's very I'm true. Give them hugs. Be friends. Be nice. I need you owe me some hugs, Terry. <laughs> I do. I make fun of him a lot. He's our wizard. So Tim is a very intelligent dude. And he knows how to do all of that kind of stuff. And I'm more of a sit in the sidelines and root for him and drink a beer. You know what I mean? But he's, uh, he's, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's, 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 you know, it's the truth. <laughs> but it is, I mean, it's helpful to have someone on, on, in a band that kind of is familiar with yeah. that stuff and knows that stuff. But I mean, you have bands that, you know, are are not, and they're trying to figure this right. out on the fly. I can't to, it, it's just, you know, and the algorithm changes every day or every week. And even the, the attention span of the listener is so short now. So you have to right. keep feeding the beast. You got to keep feeding that audience that, you know, you release a song on Friday by Monday, they don't care anymore, right? They're, they're on right. something else. It's really weird because it's like that in life. People in general do not have patience. I swear, like they used no, to. No, they like, don't. It's everybody's just like no. wants instant results with everything. It's weird. Absolutely. How does it affect yeah. you know you guys when you're writing music and you know determining when to put stuff out? I mean, I, I the bands more and more are putting out two, three EPs a year. You know, they're putting out two, three singles over a span of time, and then just to keep in front of an audience constantly because you rely more on that touring dollar than you do on the sale of a, of a, of a stream or a record. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly the, the kind of, you know, guidance and, and path that we've been put on is, is, you know, you don't, you don't go record an album and put 12 songs on it and throw it out there. It just doesn't work because like you said, the attention span of that listener, they're going to get 30 seconds into the first track and that whole album is going to go on the shelf. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, it's more of a constant process for us now of always writing the next thing and always working on having something else ready to go in the, in the upcoming months. I still wish people like the physical copy because it's still digital. CDs are still digital. You know, it's still probably better sound quality because the compression rate is probably better on a CD than it is on a streaming service, you know, so it's, it's better in that regard. And plus, you know, 
I know cars, brand new cars don't have CD players in it. So that really does impact the sale of that stuff. But I had to buy a car two years ago and I was looking at the new cars and I asked the sales rep, I'm like, where's the CD player? Oh, they don't put them in there anymore. I'm like, well, what do you got on the lot that's got a CD player? Because I still listen to my CDs. So I ended up buying at the time a three-year-old car because it had a CD player in it because what the hell am I going to do with my music? (laughs) That's right. How, I miss how, the artwork. <laughs> yeah, the artwork is so important. But how does yeah. that really, with you guys who kind of grew up in an older generation, who is now making music for a new generation, how hard is it for you guys to adapt to that? I mean, in, in one aspect, it's kind of neat that uh, the vinyl has, has made a comeback and we got to actually print vinyl on this latest release. Um, but it, it kind of, you know, it, it's, it's different in a lot of ways because now, you know, instead of having album art, you actually kind of need a piece of artwork to go with every single song, um, you know, for the online release and stuff. So there's more work involved and more thought into putting that together. Um, but then, you know, when it comes to the physical sales, I mean, we just did a three week tour and, and had no physical media with us. It was just it didn't it didn't seem like it was a good idea. I always say for a band, what what I think would increase the sale of the physical copy is have tour only CDs in vinyl that you can only get at the show. They have like special editions and all that kind of stuff, because then it would make people I, I would go just to buy cool. the special no, edition. Good, yeah. You know, like like you've got a CD that says, you know, a cover for only this three week tour. And then the next three week yeah. tour, you just got a different cover or whatever. So it kind of makes it more attractive to buy whether it's a vinyl or cd because i know i love the physical copy and if i know if an album's got five different covers i'm going to buy probably all five of those different covers because i'm so into that kind of stuff and music you know physical copies of music has become sort of like a memorabilia like a collector's item so yeah maybe not you know and then when you're done with the tour and you've got some stuff left over you dump it on your website and, and sell it on there you know but I know I would show up two hours early at a show if I knew there were only 10 CDs being sold or 20 CDs being sold at a show. So it kind of creates right. a buzz. A really Better get idea. on that, Tim. Uh, yeah. Store that. I like it. Store that. And, and, and you know. And See, I you're learning every day. <laughs> every day. Well, I mean, it's like the one show where we were at. I think we were in Philadelphia. And um, the the guy that works with the Alter Bridge management team was there. Um and he kept like looking at me weird. And finally, uh, Chris, the, their merch guy walked over and this was on the seven dust tour. And he's like, where'd you get that shirt? I was wearing an Alter Bridge shirt. And, uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was Spokane, Washington. They're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was at that moment that I realized that, um, on that tour we did with them, they actually had a different shirt every night. So there was, there was some significance in like some stars or some portion of the design that would tell them which show that shirt was so even though the overall design of the shirt is kind of the same it was unique to that particular show i think people now are more interested in the experience and then the uniqueness of that experience and if they can have something to take from that unique experience even they're even more apt to buy it you know if they if it's just the same thing and you could get that anywhere they'll may they people some people may buy it but if you got a t-shirt like you said that's only sold at that show or if you got a cd that's only sold on a three-week run that you guys just did 
they know that that's not going to be around forever. There's only a limited edition of that stuff. They're going to buy it. That's just how people think now. For sure. Makes sense. It's a competition. It is. You know, it's, it totally is, you know, and, and it's also a great way to bring in revenue for a band because let's face it for new bands, you're fighting for every dollar, yeah. um, you know, because you're not making money off streams. You're not making, you know, some, some clubs will take a percentage of the merch you sell, which I think is absolute BS. It's but, nuts. Yeah. So you got to find creative ways to do it. And um, the uniqueness is where it's at, I believe, especially for newer bands and heck legacy bands too, like Alterbridge. You guys got anything coming up here soon? Any any more dates to share with your audience? Well, the only thing happening right now is a music festival uh, here at home that uh, a buddy of ours puts on. That uh, Fourth of July weekend, we'll be out there on Sunday night closing out the festival. Yep. Smiling Acres. It's actually where I'm standing right now. Stage is over there somewhere. <laughs> Nice. What it um, after the festival? You guys are going to wait for the release, then to do some dates and do some tour. Yep, yep. Waiting for more tour ops to come along um, and the release dates, and and really right now we're we're focused on trying to get that next batch together. Yeah, we're focused on writing right now. Writing. There'll be more show, shows probably in the summer, beginning of fall. Probably makes sense. Well, Terry, to that. Well, Terry, Tim, it's been a blast getting to know about more about you guys. I love the song Revolution. Looking Thank forward you. to more. Hopefully it's soon. And uh, yeah, I'm in Chicago, so hopefully you guys make it down here, too, as well from Michigan. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'll buy a beer sometime. It'll be fun. Absolutely. Buy me two. <laughs> All right, two. And now you're getting crazy, man. <laughs> we just talked about musicians' salaries. Now he wants two beers. I'll, yeah. I'll, t- I'll take care of the tab. I'll take care of the tab. <laughs> All right. I appreciate you having us, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's Terry and Tim from the band Deep Fall. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Talk to you soon. Thanks.
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.